You're listening to The Real Wealth Show with Kathy Fetke, the real estate investor's resource. The U.S. housing market may never have been quite as competitive as it is today. Buyers are going head-to-head in bidding wars and trying to outdo one another with concessions. But when it comes to a buyer that needs financing and those who offer cash, sellers often choose cash because it's quick and easy. In this episode of The Real Wealth Show, you'll hear from NerdWallet's Holden Lewis, who talks about what borrowers can do to give themselves a fighting chance against cash buyers. I'm Kathy Fetke, and welcome to The Real Wealth Show. Holden has reported on mortgages since 2001, working through a housing boom, the Great Recession, and the long recovery. He's also NerdWallet's authority on mortgages and real estate. On today's show, he's going to share some of his tips for people with loans and what they can do to make their offers more attractive to sellers. Well, Holden, welcome to The Real Wealth Show. Hey, nice to be here. I think we've heard your company's name in the news quite a lot, so it's a, really an honor to have you here. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the, you know, first of all, what your company does. What is NerdWallet? NerdWallet, is, is, well, it's a financial marketplace where you can go to find mortgages, credit cards, that kind of thing, plus lots and lots of personal finance information from um, dozens of reporters. Um, I'm one of them. Okay, wonderful. Um, you know, it's interesting because there's a lot of talk about not going into debt. There are authorities out there, um, you know, D- Dave Ramsey for one that says, you know, don't go in debt. What are your thoughts on that? There's some kinds of debt that are that are just perfectly fine to go into student loans, uh, mortgages. I think that those are fine. I think uh, a lot of times credit cards are are a perfectly good way to uh, to spend your money. I mean, you know, I think about when I was in my early 20s and if I had an $800 car repair, I didn't have that kind of cash. I had to put it on a credit card. Well, you know, there's nothing wrong with going into debt to fix your car so you can drive it to work. So. I think there's just there's a lot of places where um, debt debt has a place. Sure, um, I know. I lived in Switzerland as an exchange student when I was uh, oh my goodness, 17 years old, and uh, my Swiss mom basically said, "Oh no, we never use debt. We just save for everything. We if we're going to buy a new car, we just you know save now and buy it with all cash." Uh, so it's it's a little bit of a different mentality, maybe today in Switzerland, but certainly in the U.S., that if you can borrow at low interest rates, it might make more sense, especially if whatever it is you're buying can make you money. So let's take that example. Let's say you get a car loan and buy a car, but you use that car for work. Uh, maybe Maybe you're even an Uber driver or something and you make more money um, than the payment. Well, then that's a positive cash flow, right? That's right. That's right. And, you know, you can expand that to all sorts of things. Um, you know, when, when people have the opportunity to pay off their mortgage, um, you know, quickly, like make double payments or something like that, one of the things they, gotta, can, they have to consider is this, like, what if they're paying 3% interest on that mortgage and they can invest money and make, say, a 5% return. You know, that's not a whole lot more than that 3% they're paying on the mortgage. Well, you know, maybe you don't want to make extra payments on your mortgage if instead of getting that 3% return for getting taxes on paying your mortgage early, you can make a 5% return on an investment. 
Yeah, I just saw a Facebook post, somebody saying, you know, I'm so proud of myself. I just finally paid off my home. And I understand that's a that's a great feeling, I'm sure, for people to feel like I live in this home. I have no payments. I basically live here for free besides taxes and insurance and, and repairs, um, which are still costly, right? It still costs to live in a home, even if you've got it paid off. But let's say that home is $200,000. That's $200,000 that could be borrowed against at super low interest rates and reinvested for more. Um, some people, again, possibly Dave Ramsey, would say that that would be uh, irresponsible to you know, to get a loan against your primary. But again, and, and that would be if you're going to just go spend it on, uh, you know, not non-assets on a vacation or vacation, something like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but if you're investing it for more than you're, you're paying to borrow it, 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 it could accelerate the payoff in a way, right? That's exactly right. Um, you know, I mean, I think about what, what happened in the run-up to the, to the housing crisis in my neighborhood. There were people who um, kept refinancing their homes and borrowing more and more and more and, and buying, um, like, uh, I had a neighbor who bought a Volkswagen Tiguan and a Harley-Davidson. Well, <laughs> neither one of those is really going to appreciate in value. Um, so, you know, if, you, if, you're, if you're using your home equity to pay for those things um, and, and the price of the house is inflated and eventually falls, uh, you know, you're in real trouble if you lose your job. So, you know, I mean, the way I look at it is this. There's, there's a kind of a psychological wage to being in debt. And when you can pay off your student loans and your mortgage and your car loan, and it just makes you sleep better at night, perhaps it's worth it. Perhaps it's better to just not have those debts rather than say, get a HELOC and invest the proceeds of the HELOC, you know, you might feel like you're walking on a tightrope when you do something like that. And you just kind of want to maybe simplify. So I, I totally understand. There's a lot of, there's a lot of things I disagree with Dave Ramsey on, <laughs> but um, you know, I, I, sometimes I go, I end up in the same place where he is when I just think in terms of peace of mind, not having debt gives you peace of mind. Sure, sure. Yeah, the, the bottom line is if if you know how to invest and you're savvy at it and you could get a loan for 3% and you are 99.9% sure that you can get an 8% return elsewhere or 10% or 15 or 20, uh, then by all means, you would get that money and borrow as much as you could. You would borrow millions upon millions upon millions beyond your home. You'd use credit cards and so forth because you would know how to make a nice return uh, on that money. It's kind of like if you didn't know how to do that, then it would be like the idea of walking into a casino and saying, okay, I've got $100 and if I can, you know, I'm going to gamble and maybe I will make another hundred and keep the hundred I started with and only play with the, with the house money. But what if you don't, what if you lose the hundred completely right. and it doesn't work. So if you're going to gamble, you know, you need to know how, you know, you need to know that you're going to walk out of that casino winning uh, with real estate or with other investments that you understand it's, it's not, it's not so risky if you really get, if you really understand it, if you know how to buy a house 
understand what it takes to renovate that house, what the after repair value will be, what the market is asking for and the demand, um, then you have a pretty, and if you've done it before or working with someone who has, you have a pretty good chance of making that work. So um, if somebody wanted to pay off their debts, what, or just be sitting in cash, what kind of advantage do they have as a cash buyer? There's a lot of advantages to being a cash buyer. Um, and, and really, you have to kind of, first, you have to think in terms of the mentality of the seller. I mean, like, why would the seller want to sell to a cash buyer? You know, and among those things are, um, as a seller, you don't have to wait for the buyer's mortgage lender's approval or mm -hmm. their timing. Um, you don't have to worry about the appraisal. And you're just simply more likely to go to closing. And so when you turn that around, you think, okay, so as a, as a buyer, as a cash buyer, those are some of my advantages. Um, kind of, it's a more sure closing because, you know, as a cash buyer, I'm not having to depend upon a mortgage lender's approval or, uh, you know, quirks of timing where suddenly all oh, they have to put it, put the closing off for a week. Um, don't need an appraisal. And, you know, you, so you're, you're just simply more likely, <clears throat> excuse me, <laughs> to go to closing. Yeah. I mean, you know, that happened to us with our daughter when she was 24 uh, and she had had a two year work experience so she could qualify for a loan. Uh, we, I, I've talked about this before on the show. She was going to go buy a car because she finally had good credit. Well, she had great credit and showing income. And I said, no, 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 no. Before you get that payment and throw off your debt to income ratios, look at buying a house first. She's like a house. How can I do that? How can I afford that? You know, just talk to a lender and find out if, if you can qualify. It turns out she could qualify for about a $300,000 house. She lived in Chico, California, where $300,000 houses were actually available. It's pretty oh, tough really? to do in California, but she could. So she started shopping and was able to find houses that were, you know, three bedroom homes that were cheaper uh, than the apartment she was renting that was a two bedroom with no yard. So sure. she, the light bulb went on and she, she got it. Well, she found a really good deal. Uh, on a beautiful house next to the next to Bidwell Park, looking looking over the park and just riding bike dis distance to downtown and to her job. But it was a former rehab that the person couldn't finish. So one of the bathrooms wasn't done and a bank wouldn't lend on it. So the only people who could buy that property would have to come in with cash. Well, that obviously lowers the value. So we said, fine, you can you can borrow from our retirement savings. It's going to cost you 6%. Um, and, and then you can refi out. We'll, we'll buy it all cash. And then you fix the bathroom and refi. That's what she did. So that was an example of why having cash or someone who has cash can really help you get a great deal. She got that property for at least $50,000 under market because of the unfinished bathroom. She fixed the bathroom for about $5,000 and lived in that property for a couple of years, just sold it. And after paying us back and, and all the interest, she, she made over $100,000. So that's pretty good to live for free, basically, uh, as a 24-year-old and uh, and make money at it at the same time. Okay, Definitely. so so that's a happy story for her. It sounds like a horror story for that seller. It's like, 
all they had to do was invest $5,000 to essentially get a $50,000 return. And they didn't do it. And they didn't do it. Oh, so that's, that is a really good point. And I hadn't thought about that. This was somebody who just maybe hadn't calculated the cost of repairs and, and literally spent all their money and didn't finish the project. This is not uncommon. And that's why when you try to do a flip, you better make sure you know the cost and have reserves in place because there's always surprises with old properties, right? And uh, and there could be things that you can't see until you start digging into that property and, and making those changes. So unfortunately, I do believe they just ran out of money because they had spent everything they had trying to do the repairs and probably couldn't uh, get any loans. Mm. So they did, they did walk away from that probably at a big loss. Uh, very, very important. I mean, the same thing I I've, um, I've seen that even with big syndications where you can, you know, syndicate, expect that the repairs on the apartment will be say $500,000. You know, it's a much bigger deal. What if there's more to it and you need an extra million or something. So if you're syndicating something big, you sure better have big reserves. You can always give investors their money back if those reserves aren't needed, but make sure you have it. So you're not uh, in a situation like that where you can't finish the renovation. So with the crazy market out there, there's still a lot of people coming in with cash. What are some of the best ways to, to win that bid? All right, well, so let, let's say you need to get a mortgage and you're competing with these cash buyers. Um, that can be really intimidating. One of the, the really one of the first things to do is in that intimidating situation is to present yourself as a really easygoing person to be a not intimidating buyer, someone who's a pleasure to work with, um, someone whose offer is easy to accept. So, um, you know, that's kind of the number one thing. And then there's kind of like elements of that. For example, making when you say make the offer easy to accept, what I mean is keep it short and sweet and simple. You know, don't have a bunch of clauses in there like escalator clauses. Um, just uh, make it really short. Um, don't demand a response like within two hours. That just makes you seem like, oh, okay, you're gonna, this person is going to be a real hard ass and just hard to deal with. Um, you know, just, just really, really just keep things really simple. Um, another thing is just make your best price offer um, right off the bat. Uh, you know, don't don't be counting on some back and forth where you're eventually going to pay more than your offer price. If if it looks like there's a lot of competition for the house, you're going to have to get a mortgage. You think that there's going to be people offering cash. Just make your best offer right then, because one of the reasons is a lot of cash buyers, if they are looking to buy it as an investment to rent out, they really they might have a top price that is below what you're willing to pay for it if you want to live in that house. Um, you know, you can waive the appraisal contingency if you have enough money in reserve to pay the difference between the prices you're going you're gonna to pay and the appraised value. Um, and, you know, sometimes if you're going to get a mortgage, you, have, you can have some more flexibility. You know, you can offer the seller a rent back. And this is an important thing in today's market because it's it's really easy to sell a house. It's quick to sell a house. 
it's hard to find a house to buy when you have all this competition. And so what happens is, um, it, you know, people can sell a house quickly and then they might want to continue living in that house for a while while they're waiting to make an offer or close on another house. And so if you can offer to, you know, let them rent that house back for up to 60 days, that really might give you an edge. Um, and, you know, you can offer to buy as is, um, you know, and you can still have the house inspected, but you can tell the seller, look, this inspection, I'm not going to ask you to pay for anything. I'm not going to ask you to allow uh, workers into your home to repair things and supervise them. I'm only getting an inspection to give me a yes or no, a no, a, a go or no go thing. You know, if the inspection uncovers problems that I don't want to deal with, then we'll just cancel the whole contract. If it uncovers problems that I'm willing to deal with, then we'll proceed. And I'm not going to ask you to lower your price. So those are some of the stratagems that mortgage borrowers can use to compete against cash buyers. Mm, that's good information. I, I've i read it, that maybe these uh, multiple offers and you know multiple bids are slowing down, but uh, I would say it's just slowing down. They're not gone. And it certainly depends on the market. So it's still really important to know that you're working with the right agent and that you are uh, making the right offer because there's probably going to be some other good ones right alongside yours. Very good. All right. Any other tips um, in, in the time that you've been reporting on mortgages uh, since 2001? Obviously, mortgages are really, really cheap right now. It's cheap money. Do you see that changing? Well, they're going to continue to be low. Um, my guess is that mortgage rates are going to go up from here on. I would say, look, you know, when, when you look at mortgage rates, when you make a prediction, you can predict that they're going to go up, they're going to stay about the same, or you can go down. So if you if you can predict better than 33% of the time, you're you're doing pretty well. And I'd say I probably am right half the time. So, you know, um, how sure am I that mortgage rates are going to be higher at the end of this year than they are now? Um, yeah. Not we're not really positive about that, but but I think that that is kind of the direction that we're going to see. Um, the thing that could knock mortgage rates down, or or just kind of keep them the same, would be if the pandemic gets even worse um, and, and really drags down the economy domestically and internationally. If it's affecting supply chains even worse than they are now and shipping, you could see mortgage rates go down. I just I kind of have a hunch that that's not going to happen, that mortgage rates are going to rise, but not by much. I mean, they're a little bit under 3% right now. Uh, you know, I, I don't think they're going to be like above three and a quarter percent at the end of this year. Yeah. Uh, I just think it's really fascinating is um, a, appraisal gaps. You know, um, and I, th I mentioned that kind of in passing, but it's really a problem that a lot of people are dealing with um, yeah. you know, people getting mortgages. So essentially, let's say you offer $110,000 for a house and the appraiser says it's worth $100,000. Well, you know, if you're going to buy 90, 95% of the value of the house, suddenly you can only borrow $95,000. So instead of um, 
putting 5% down on a $110,000 house, would be, which would be $5,500, now you're faced with putting $15,000 down. I mean, I'm throwing numbers around that like might sound really confusing, but essentially with, with the appraisal gap, you have to come up with cash to make up the difference between the price you're paying and the appraised value. And in a normal market, what often happens is if the appraisal comes in for less than you've offered to pay, then you'll, you'll negotiate with the seller to, to get a lower price. In today's market, that's just not happening. Mm -hmm. You're paying that price that you offered to pay, and you're going to somehow have to come up with that difference in cash. So when you're, when you're making an offer and you need to get a mortgage, it really does help. Um, if you, especially if you want to waive the appraisal contingency to, to have plenty of cash um, in reserve or easily liquidatable assets mm -hmm. in reserve to make up that difference. Yes. Yeah. That that's, that's the challenge in a, <clears throat> in a bidding war scenario. Yeah. You, you're, you, you're probably, the price is going to be higher than what it would appraise for. And, most people who are overbidding have that cash set aside, which makes it harder for people who don't. That's right. And, you know, if you're going to waive that appraisal contingency to, to actually show uh, some, some bank records and some brokerage records saying, look, I, I really can make up a difference of, say, $20,000 easily, um, you know, if it falls short, if the appraisal falls short, and, and mm -hmm. just to let that seller know that, yeah, you're not just blowing smoke. You really, really can make up that difference. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Anything else you want to let our listeners know? Um, I think that's about all. I mean, you know, just uh, reiterate, you know, the the appraisal, the, not the appraisal, the, the flexibility about the closing date, I think, is, is really a key thing in today's market where there's just a lot of sellers out there who need to hang out in that house a little longer so they can close on the house that they're buying. Yeah, great advice. All right, Holden Lewis, thank you so much for joining me here on The Real Wealth Show and sharing your knowledge. All right, thank you. And thank you for joining me here on The Real Wealth Show. If you'd like to get access to more free education, just go to realwealthshow.com. Views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to realwealthshow.com.